Constellation. 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 Welcome to Inner Bloom, a podcast about spirituality and intuitive empowerment where we help each other evolve and ascend through conscious community. I'm Alexa, a healer who utilizes EFT, also known as tapping, to help you process stuck emotions, release limiting beliefs, and reconnect with your inner child. I'm Ambrosia, a psychic medium and Arcturian channel, here to uplift and inspire you to see that you are capable of more than you know. Together, we empower people to live extraordinary lives. We do want to warn you, if you hang out with us long enough, you'll start to believe in yourself and realize that you're capable of anything. Enjoy Enjoy the the show. show. Hello, hello. Welcome back once again to Inner Bloom Podcast. I am Alexa. Um, I am writing solo today, Ambrosia. Um has some other things going on and we wanted to get a episode out to you guys um, for Wednesday that um, you would like and also so that we could remind you of a couple things. So um, today what I'm going to be doing is reading a chapter from an an amazing book. If you guys are watching on video, you can see Um, this is the second book from this author, um, her name's Sarah Breskman Cosme, and it's called A Hypnotist's Journey to the Secrets of the Sphinx. And basically, I discovered this author um, a little over a year ago. She's a QHHT um, practitioner, which means she does past life regressions. And her first book was A Journey to Atlantis. Um, via QHHT. And basically, she's kind of doing a Dolores Cannon thing, except it's all focused on a specific time period or topic. And so the first book is all about Atlantis and Lemuria. And this book is all about Egypt, ancient Egypt. And it's fascinating. And honestly, I haven't really gotten through it yet. Um, I've only read the first five chapters. So I quickly previewed the sixth chapter um, and I was like, oh, I think this would be a good one for the podcast. So I'm going to read to you chapter six in this book. And the title just happens to be The History of Egypt. Okay? So <clears throat> let me clear my pregnancy phlegm. <clears throat> All right. Um, wait, actually, before I do that, let me share in our... Facebook group, by the way, if you're not in Inner Bloomers on Facebook, make sure you get in there. Okay, let's do it. So chapter six, the history of Egypt. As Jen recovered more of her memories with Julie, interesting information about Atlantis and the history of Egypt emerged. So wait, hold on. Let me think of how best to like read this. Okay, so Sarah is the one interviewing and Jen is the one she's interviewing, okay? So Sarah is the practitioner, and Jen is the one who's under hypnosis. Okay, so Sarah says, when you were working with Julie, did you ever uncover other planets that appeared to have the same technology that Atlantis did? 
I've had many clients recount other lifetimes on other planets that seem to have the same technology. Jen, yes, that is because it is all derived from the same source. Sarah, so there were many planets with this technology, just like Atlantis? Jen, there were many planets colonized by what I would call the red planet and the blue planet before Earth was colonized. There are many others out there that are like us, but they are very far away from us. Sarah, so do these other planets with the same technology that Atlantis had also have situations where they are mutating people as well or no? Jen, some. There are many different variables. Some of these other planets have had similar outcomes, and some have avoided these situations altogether. But the ones who have had lives that mimic those you have seen on Atlantis all seem to end the same way. They all seem to have these cataclysmic endings to these colonies that became very technologically advanced. Sarah, was there a golden age in Atlantis? Jen, yes, at an earlier time in Atlantis. There was an earlier point in Atlantis's history, way before the final years, but after the city was built, and after the founder of Atlantis, who had designed the city, had lost his crystals. When he lost his red crystals, things were left to just develop with what technology he had without the crystals, and people began to use their minds in ways that they had not been able to use them while they were imprisoned. They had been repressed from using their gifts, from using their abilities. And the founder of Atlantis had in many ways mutated so many of them. He had cloned, mutated, and used all kinds of animal DNA in order to create these efficient workers to build his empire and to defend him. And when he lost all of it, and that was gone, a short golden age is what developed afterwards. There was a utopia, almost of high technology and freedom, and this movement together of these people who had been constantly oppressed and forced to not recognize who they were. They were free from continuously slaving away for a system that had entrapped them. They had gotten to a point where they were moving in the right direction, and then there is an energetic mistake that is made. It was very powerful, devastating, and it turned them into a dust, like an evaporation almost. From what I can see, it looks like a light that just kind of goes all over in a 360 sphere outwards from one source that looks like a golden lit orb. Sarah, so this was a cataclysm on Atlantis before the final one? Jen, yes, it was a very big energetic cataclysm. It puts them back very far. It puts them back to a very basic time where they have to rebuild their society Sorry, guys. And it takes them a very long time to build it back up to what they once had. It just destroys their energy systems and all their circuitry. It really affects their development for a very long time. A long time before we have the rain that allows for the meeting of Lemuria and Atlantis together. Sarah, so how long after this did both cultures meet? Jen, at least 5,000 years. Sarah, how many times was Atlantis destroyed or almost destroyed? Jen, the first time was in the beginning of Atlantis when it was being seeded and then was abandoned. 
There was a terrible fight amongst the colonizers and the feelings of heaviness, regret, and remorse were too great. So those colonizers abandoned what they had started and left their technology. So then if you count that, the extraterrestrial that crash landed and destroyed the lifestyle of those living there, that would be the second, the third, and then the fourth. But the actual explosions of Atlantis were the minor one that caused much land destruction and the major one that caused the sinking of it. Sarah, can you tell me more about the minor destruction? Jen, the minor one shook the framework up enough to allow for an easier way to ultimately destroy it the second time. It created something that looked almost like lightning underground. It had created these cracks that had begun to unsettle the continent of Atlantis. It began the uprooting process of Atlantis. From what I could see with Julie, Atlantis had a very long history from the time the first ET settler goes there to when it ends. It had many ups and downs and many different leaders that I can see. Some were very beautiful and good, but there was always a basic understanding that the Atlanteans originated and had ancestors who were actually hybrid slaves created by an alien. That was always in the background of their consciousness. They felt sometimes superior because of it and sometimes degraded because of it. Sarah, after the fall of Atlantis, the last one, were there hybrids who started ancient Egypt? Jen, the cat people, people who were born with cat-like side effects from the vaccine in Atlantis, were the hybrids who began a lot of the highly advanced spiritual concepts in ancient Egypt. They continued and spread a lot of beneficial and helpful information from, for some time until their society became chaotic and violent. Then a group of men realized that they could band together and reclaim this superiority and domination. This group of men felt that the gold that the cat people wore around their heads and wrists was simply something that they could do as well. This group felt that they could use the devices that the cat people had in the same way, and they could use these devices to control others as well. But once this group of men had killed all of the cat people, they saw that they not only didn't have the same abilities as the cat people, but that they didn't know how to use these devices. So this group of control-hungry men just faked it and were able to convince people of their power and were able to finally control them. Sarah, what happened after that? Jen, the threat of violence was so great that no one would speak up against this group of power-hungry men, and it begins this slow regression of humankind. It began this dominant versus vulnerable species within this group of humans, one that would need protection and one that would need to be the protector, and it created a very deep imbalance. Sarah, when did ancient Egypt and the pharaohs begin? Jen, not too long after Egypt was overthrown by these men. For a few generations, the control group spread out as the areas grew in population, and the controllers settled in two different parts, one in the north and one in the south. And they are about to start fighting with each other when one man is able to bring them both together. It is still a very violent, brutal place, but they began to create a rebirth of Atlantis, as they tried to reclaim Atlantis, even though the actual Atlantis had already been destroyed at this point.
Sarah, tell me more about that. Jen, this man that unites the North and South suggests that they are all supposed to reclaim Atlantis, that they were supposed to bring it back, that this was their right. He claimed that they had unfairly lost their power, their land, and their leader. These were the legends that were passed down after they had destroyed many of the cat people. And it just looks like these ideas get out of control. Sarah, how does it get out of control? Jen, it allows for power to be entirely corrupted and creates a society of people who are afraid of each other, but who must carry on and continuously do labor and keep feeding the system that was created. Sound familiar? <laughs> it's no longer about a community and providing for one another and making sure everyone has what they need. It becomes very competitive and very classist and very divided. And this is the reclaiming of Atlantis. They convinced each other that they were taking back what was theirs, that it was their promised land, their birthright, that it belonged to them. Sarah, why did they say it was Atlantis? Did they have any leftover technology? Jen, they didn't, but they had very vague ideas from these lessons, rituals, and teachings of the survivors from Atlantis and the cat people. And these ideas, teachings, and rituals that had been passed down were interpreted differently based off of what the controlling group wanted. Sarah, were they similar? What kind of rituals were they? Jen, they were not the same. They were based on worshiping the sun. They were based on the connection to it and the white light that came from it. They were looking to reconnect with the power of the sun. And they wanted to reharness and create this white light that was the source of creation. I feel that was their major goal, to get back that aspect of what they had lost, this power that was given to them. That was taken away. Sarah, what kind of power did they have before? Jen, they understood that there had been energies that were used to create these major cities in Atlantis and these hybrid communities, and they wanted this technology again. Sarah, so they thought the technology made them powerful? Jen, yes, they thought the technology would allow them to build empires, and with these empires, they thought that they could build prosperity, wealth, and success. Sarah, tell me more about the power of the sun in Atlantis. Jen, the sun charged all of their devices and had an intricate part to play in their technology. They were able to take sunlight and use it through these crystals that they had within the pyramids, and it refracted off of the crystals and created energy. Sarah, what did the controlling group that was interested in the reclamation of Atlantis feel about the sun? Jen, they felt the need to worship it, even though that was not the point. They felt that it was a good, that it was a god self, and they began to make sacrifices to it as if that would do something. But the sun is the sun, and that wasn't necessary. A bunch of misconceptions began to surround the very basic understandings of what this ancient power was, and it becomes something it wasn't and never was. They make it up to be this complicated thing with all the symbolism, but it's actually just simply the sun. But after the grid system was destroyed, we couldn't tap into it the way we once did after the fall of Atlantis. There were also highly developed mental abilities that were needed 
in order to fully understand and tap into this power as well. Sarah, how did the actual Atlanteans tap into it? Jen, during this time when these Atlanteans used the sun technology, they had more of an understanding of who they really were, and that enabled their powers of their mind. Since most do not have that understanding any longer, these mental powers have grown very weak, lethargic, and very diluted. Sarah, how do we enable these powers again? Jen, it is one of the reasons for this book. Many who will read this will start to cast off the shadows that they alone had cast on their own abilities. It is also happening through ET contact and is one of the reasons you are seeing so many alien abductions happening around us over the last 20 years. These are intentional in order to change our programming to allow us to go back to a time when we had certain mental abilities. However, the new children are different. Sarah, how are the children different? Jen, their DNA is different than ours. It has changed. They have already been programmed back toward the opening in the mind that connects us to our origins and how to use these ancient abilities we were once gifted with. Sarah, when you say new children, what ages do you mean? Jen, about 10 and under. This is April 2021. And some are older than that, but not all. Sarah, are we headed in that new direction then where we will understand these things? Jen, in the last 10 years, much has been done to make sure that the next generation of children will be very different. They have been programmed differently and much effort has been made to begin to open their minds very slowly again, but in the right direction to awaken these abilities once more. Sarah, could you tell me more about the pharaohs in ancient Egypt? Why would the pharaohs marry their sisters? Is that true? Jen, for some it was. Once Egypt was a unified kingdom, many generations down the road, the inbreeding between families began to happen because they felt that that power must be maintained within the family in order to continue having hybrid children, the special children. Sarah, were the pharaohs hybrid children? Jen, there were a few that had this recessive gene. Sarah, did they look any different than other humans? Jen, they did. Some of these children were the great-great-grandchildren of some of the escapees of Atlantis that did carry these things deep within their genetics. They had reestablished an order of superiority over the indigenous humans because of this. Sarah, how did they look different? Jen, they had very long and bony faces. Their bodies also would look longer and more angular instead of muscular and built. They dominated people in the way that they looked different, not in the way that they looked aggressive or powerful in physique. They had a very different facial structure sometimes, more cat-like, or aloof as well sometimes, because they had some of the recessive genes that were passed down through the ages from Atlantis. Sarah, were they really keeping the power within that bloodline if they married brother and sister? Jen, it wasn't necessary to do so. It was a misunderstanding. It caused more harm than good with the mixing of the blood like that. It led to lots of insanity that only complicated the matters. And King Tutankhamun was a good example. Sarah, tell me more about him. 
Jen, not only was his health not very good due to the incestuous relationships throughout generations, but his life was also very confusing for him. It seems that he had issues walking and some other issue with his heart, possibly. He looked like he was a very anxious child, that he was constantly worried because of his mother's incessant worries that people were trying to kill him. His mother had told him that people were coming for him, and that he must tap back into this ancient power and use this power in order to protect him and her. Sarah, was he able to do that? Jen, I don't think so. I did not remember that when I was uncovering this memory with Julie. It looked like he wasn't able to do such a thing. He tried and did everything right that he thought he should do. He had the knowledge. He understood that he was from the stars. And he understood his power. He just could not connect back to it. Sarah, did you see why he couldn't connect? Jen, he just didn't have the ability but he could tap into other things, just not what he wanted to. Sarah, what could he tap into? Jen, he was able to see the past, but only very mundane things, things that were not very interesting or very useful. He was often correct, but it wasn't anything that they could use in any way. And the past that he could see was never very far back. He could see up until right before Egypt became what it is. He could see to the beginning of Egypt, after the second Sphinx was destroyed, but he couldn't see back to the end of Atlantis. The people knew what Atlantis was, but they could not tap back into the energy there, and that was what they were trying to do with him. Anything else he came up with was not useful, but it was still something. Sarah, did he ever marry? Jen, he did marry his sister, but it wasn't for very long, and he wasn't very happy with it either. He was very young and uninterested then. Sarah, did he have any children? Oh. Sarah, did he have any children? Jen, they didn't, or they didn't survive. I didn't see a lineage there. Sarah, did you see how he passed? Jen, it feels intentional that there was a hunting accident, something along those lines, but it happened while he was supposed to be having fun. He was supposed to relax and take his mind off something. feels like part of his skull is shattered, that something hits his head, but I can't see what. Sarah, is there anything else about his life that looked interesting? Jen, it looked very sad and very depressing, and he spent his life trying to be something that he was not. He was never good enough for what people around him wanted, and ultimately it brought relief to him to die at an early age. After that lifetime, he was relieved to go somewhere else, where he could be happy with his gifts, with who he was, rather than trying to be Pharaoh-like and mighty and see something that he could not. Sarah, where did he go after that life? Jen, it looks like he was rested for a short amount of time before he reviewed his life because he was very eager to go through it. He was very eager to get past this life. He then takes a life as a very simple young man not far from Egypt, but he goes where he felt he was wanted and useful. He was special, and people recognized him for his gifts. I see him working with natural things, like with wood, creative things. One of the gifts that he taps into is making very aesthetic things. Some of them are carvings out of wood. Sarah, is his soul on the earth now in a body? Jen, in several bodies now is what I see. If I look from above, 
It looks like he's in several different places and in several different bodies, both male and female. Sarah, did you see this information when you were working with Julie? Jen, a lot of it, but not all of it. Sarah, did the two of you record this information that you were getting? Jen, no, we didn't collect it into anything. So that is the end of chapter six. Um, man, that was a lot harder for me to read than I thought because, man, you get so out of breath being pregnant. It's crazy, especially like the later you go. Um, so I'm very tired and reading makes me even tireder. But I hope that you guys enjoyed that. that again, that's just one chapter out of, you know, I don't know how many chapters is this. Um, 22 in this book. Um, again, it's called A Hypnotist's Journey to the Secrets of the Sphinx by Sarah Breskin Cosme. And she also wrote a book entirely dedicated to Atlantis and also talks about Lemuria. Um, it is fascinating if you like, if you're interested in these two civilizations, which literally to me, there's nothing more fascinating. <laughs> Um, you will be very, very happy to dive into this. Um, and you can, you know, get it on Amazon or something. Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, a couple of announcements before we sign off here. First of all, um, the winner of our intuitive investigation poll that we do for our Patreons for our second bonus episode of the month was Mermaids which I'm actually really excited about. It seems like mermaids are popping up everywhere right now. Lots of interesting um, videos on TikTok and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, mermaids was the clear winner, um, meaning that this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. EST, and that'll be July 28th, this Thursday, July 28th, um, we will be live streaming to Patreon um, and you guys will get to ask whatever intuitive questions you have about mermaids. Are they real? What's their history? What do they do? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anything you've ever wanted to know about mermaids, uh, we can ask. So um, make sure that you're signed up uh, as a patron if you want to tap into that with us. Um, also, the replay will be available. So, you know, feel free to comment, leave a question. You can watch it back later. Um, you can sign up for Patreon, for our Patreon, for as low as $5. Um, and also, another reason to sign up for Patreon is because you, you guys have about a week left to sign up for Patreon to be entered to win a free Super Bloom membership, which is our... Oh my God, I'm having so many problems talking, which is our intuitive development um, course and community um, where we we have specifically designed this course to teach you everything A to Z of how to develop your intuition, the basics of, you know, protection, grounding, all of that up into how to trust yourself, how to hear yourself, how to decode this language that your intuition speaks to you in, how to do readings, how to do mediumship, how to do remote viewing. Um, and it also comes with weekly uh, coaching with Ambrosia and myself every Monday and also practice um, 
opportunities and just friendship opportunities with a beautiful and supportive community of people who are doing the same thing. Um, So yeah, we're going to pick one of our patrons at random on August 1st. So you have to just be one of our patrons at any tier uh, by that time. And we will pick someone at random and you will win this free membership, which lasts for six months. So um, yeah, just another reason to sign up for Patreon and you can do so at patreon.com slash inner bloom podcast. Um, I think that is it for now. Um, but, uh, again, hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, would highly recommend checking out these books if you did. And we will be back together on Friday with another episode. So, uh, until next time, keep on blooming. Bye. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love, love, love it if you would leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to get in touch for a reading with Ambi, an EFT session with Alexa, or just to say what up, you can email us at innerbloompodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at innerbloompodcast.com.